1: Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Champions of Happy podcast, the podcast where I talk to my friends about what makes them happy, what makes them smile, and what brings them joy. Hi everyone, James here, the host of the Champions of Happy podcast. On this episode I'm joined by Dane, a comedian who is just so lovely, so funny. I saw him perform on a comedy night in West London at the West London Queer Project and I just knew instantly that I wanted him as a guest on the podcast. He really celebrates joy and happiness. Uh, And I guess that's what the job of a comedian is, is to make you laugh and smile. Uh, If you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget we are on all forms of social media, from Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. If you're enjoying it, then go give us a follow and a like. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, then go give us a review on the Apple Podcast app. Just say a few nice words about what you're enjoying, maybe a cheeky five stars, and, you know, help the podcast grow so we can reach more people and share more happiness. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Dane Buckley. Hi I feel like I've got to introduce you to the stage like an X Factor Contestant or like a comedian would do on stage.
0: I know, I I feel like I was waiting for my tagline, like the world's only left handed Irish Indian
1: comedian. Sorry, let me do it again. Welcome to the stage, Dane Buckley. The Oh, I have it written down somewhere the world's only left-handed Irish Indian gay comedian. Hello. Hi. I
0: <laughs> don't think Dermot O'Leary is worried about his job.
1: <laughs> <gasps> Ow, that hurt more than I thought it would do. That
0: took a second to go in. I saw I could that. I do
1: his job.
0: I saw that hit. I saw that.
1: <laughs> I I have ap- applied for Blue Peter in the past. Weirdly enough, wasn't oh. accepted. Uh, they weren't ready for me. They just Blue weren't Peter. ready for me. Oh, X Factor makes a return, I reckon I do have a pretty good shot at that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, enough about me. Hello, Dane. How are you? I I'm... hate introductions. Hello, hello. <laughs> I'm very
0: good. I'm back from Thailand. I spent a month in Thailand, which was amazing. Where my parents live. Yes.
1: I was going to say, I'm. We've been trying to get uh, recorded for a while, but you went on holiday. <laughs> uh so A month. Oh, it was gorgeous. It really was.
0: My parents uh, are hippies, so they move around a lot, and I haven't seen them in two and a half years because of COVID. So it was really, oh, wow. honestly, I would have went to Bognor Regis to see them. It just so happens they live on a tropical beach <laughs> on an island in Thailand,
1: so that helps. Do they live live there then? Yeah, they like, live-, all- live there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a dream. Did you like? Have you been, I, I think you've been before then
0: Yeah, I've been a few times, which is lovely Because I've done all the touristy stuff So literally, it was just about family time Films, going to the markets, cook-ups And then my mum's back door opens And the beach is literally there So it's just like family quality time And actually, it's the little stuff I miss Like make my mum saying Son, pop on the kettle, would you? Uh, or, um, you know, just What are you cooking for us tonight, son? You know, Because I brought over lots of European ingredients They can't get and stuff So I love that yeah. kind of stuff, you know?
1: Well, thank you for um, coming back to rainy London uh, to um, entertain us all on stage and on the podcast. So, Dane, you're a comedian. Could you please briefly introduce yourselves to the listeners who might not know who you are?
0: Yeah, I'm Dane Buckley. I am from London. I describe myself as the world's only left-handed Irish Indian comedian, probably. I've been going for seven months, so I'm fairly new. That's fairly new in terms of being a comedian. But I've been really, really blessed and really fortunate and, you know have kind of been given lots and lots of opportunities in that time. Um, I've been on the same lineup as Tom Ward and Russell Howard, which was obviously amazing. And I've won a few competitions and gong shows, which has kind of upped my profile. And I've been given loads of opportunities. So it's just amazing that I'm, I'm kind of mainly doing paid gigs and, yeah, lots and lots of opportunities. I'm really excited about it. I, I came to comedy kind of later in life, and I honestly feel like I've come home, you know
1: oh amazing that's lovely so I first saw you when you did a gig at the West London Queer Project shout out to Aubrey and the lovely team in Chiswick Uh, and the moment that you were on stage just your comedy was so lovely and it was it was funny and it was yeah adult but from the moment i watched I was like oh i know i definitely want to see more of him i definitely want to talk to him <laughs> and i was like hey, who isn't doing a podcast nowadays i'm sure you've done a million yeah. podcasts now and i'm like oh how do i ask him can you be on a <laughs> podcast please i'd like to talk to do- would- you about happy things <laughs> it's such please. a good name though champions
0: of happiness it's i mean oh thank you it just sounds like a kind of group of superheroes just now
1: Like i would well, that's be kind in- of what i was going for yeah now you are one so exactly. you've been a guest You're you're a champion of happy
0: but, you know, that that gig was a turning point for me, though, which I renamed Willikapada, West London Queer Project. <laughs> yes, I was meant to do five minutes, and I think I did 12 in the end. I just was a whore for the attention, and the room was so lovely and giving, and I, it was just... Sometimes the stars line up and the goddess provides, and you just boom, 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 and everything. Like the amount of gigs I've gotten off of the back of that, and some corporate gigs and some profile stuff that's really helped. It's just amazing. So sometimes you never know, you know, that was a really big, busy gig, but there are other gigs that you play that might have four people in it and you're in a basement in Covent Garden, but actually someone sees you who wants you at a wedding or knows a, a producer or. You know, so it just, it just takes all, that one person, yeah, doesn't it? Exactly. And also the friends you meet, that's something I didn't realize about comedy. You know, you get to a certain age and you don't meet a lot of new people every day. Then boom, suddenly every week I'm meeting 30 other comedians from every different walk of life. And we're hanging out and it's
1: it's kind of gorgeous, you know. Oh, amazing! So, as well as comedy, you obviously we know you are also a very nice person as well because you work in the charity sector. Um, right. so let me get this right: so you work, you run as a support service uh, for LGBT asylum seekers with the organisation Rainbow Migration. But before we continue talking about anything of your comedy and your lovely charity work, we do start the podcast with a lovely happy moment, which is basically a short story, an anecdote, a fact piece of news anything you think is happy and joyful that you would like to start the podcast off with can you please share your happy moment of course as i said earlier i do love the attention so
0: i've gone for a few and i think it's important i do a few because um comedy is something that's very special but also i'm often called like a tonic like i think i i do i have been told often that i bring happiness to people but also in terms of my career and like my understanding of how to build personal resilience in someone as well. There are some tools that I think are useful for people. So I actually have um, a memory and an article and a story. Is that okay?
1: Yes, absolutely. Come on, tell me all of it. You've got prepared. Some people forget about the happy moment bit. So you, gold star.
0: Jesus, I've never forgotten about a happy moment, I'll be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so uh, I'll start with... The article, um, I'll, send you, I'll send you the link. I don't know if you want to share it when you release the, mm, the podcast, yeah. but it's called Alive Inside, and it was done a few years ago. It's a video, basically. They noticed, you know, in social work, they talk about people have a resilience factor. They have something that keeps them going. So if you take a pool of children, and some of those children are abused, sorry, all of those children are abused, but some have a talent or a musical instrument or a pet or an auntie that looks after them who's lovely, and some don't, they notice the ones that have those things, seem to be able to overcome the obstacles and that's just about resilience because if you have a dog you have a responsibility you have a nurturing relationship you have something you feel love for and it gives you some kind of strength or if you're exceptionally good at sports or you have one auntie who you love to see it gives you hope to get through stuff and that's resilience so um in this particular clip alive inside this man's resilience is music he's in a home he's in his late 90s he can't really speak after having a stroke but what they noticed is when they play some music to him um afterwards for about 10 to 20 minutes he's really fluid he can speak he starts waking up. He starts singing. It's the most beautiful clip I've ever seen. And when I do resilience training with our staff, personal resilience training to make sure, you know, because we're dealing with heavy stuff every day, I all show them this clip just because it's a beautiful kind of clip of a human holding on to the memories he has, but also what's happening inside. Sometimes there are little seeds planted in us and they just get nourished a little bit and they burst open. And it's beautiful to see. I, I've never watched it without having... Uh, a kind of a wet eye but um so i want to send you that clip that's called Alive inside that's my clip yes please send it on yes my stories separate from my memories my stories are there are twofold i used to volunteer for lgbt switchboard um and i am one of those people that like i could deal with very difficult things all day long you know some of our service users have been trafficked into the country and and there's lots of different forms of abuse but I, and I wouldn't let it get to me because I might put my focus on, I need to help this person get through this. Where I would get teary sometimes is when I hear things of happiness, which I think is the most Irish thing I've ever, ever said. <laughs> it sounds so Catholic, doesn't it? But um, <laughs> I, I do. That's when I, I think I can let my guard down and it moves me. And there are two stories I remember from working on Switchboard. The first was a grandmother that rang from Scotland. She was in her late 70s. Long story short, her grandson hadn't come out as gay he was 15 and her children the boy's parents had disowned him they wanted nothing to do with him she in turn had disowned her children for doing this and taken in the grandson which was gorgeous now she wanted to know i just remember her little voice saying would you have any advice dear about the right kind of biscuits a young homosexual would like (laughs) <laughs> she was she wanted to get gay food, gay clothes, and she told me that she brought him on her her mobility scooter to like a young person's gay disco and I just oh. had this image of this sweet Scottish grandmother in a scooter with her grandson bringing him to his gay disco with his gay biscuits and I just thought oh. that was so so beautiful and so lovely i i you know it was just icon and also thank God that boy has her you know mm. it was really really moving, so that story makes me it's. I've bittersweet but it makes me smile and remember there are good people in the world sorry what were you going to say
1: uh no i've just got to ask what biscuits did you say
0: i said those um those discs those disco you know the they're fluorescent i can't remember the name of them oh right? party they're... rings yes party rings oh, I, I said those rings. and nice oh, great answer and yeah. pink wafers i said they traditionally oh, I are mean, pink obviously. wafers off yeah. <laughs> And then the other story was this seven year old boy rang me. He started the conversation crying straight off. I admired his drama. I loved it. He was crying his eyes out. And I said, what's why are you crying? And he was like, because my mom loves me. And I was like, oh, gosh, go on, caller. What's the story? I'm listening. And basically he had realized he's gay. I think he was seven. And, and he understood it that he will then have to leave home because his parents can't love him anymore. That's how he understood yeah. being gay works. And he packed a little bag and he was off to, to kind of run away. And his mum stopped him at the door and said, what are you doing? I'm going to choke up. I'm remembering his voice now. His mum stopped oh. him at the door and said, what are you doing? Don't be so silly. I love you. You don't have to go anywhere. He burst out crying. The mum said, would you like to speak to a gay person? We don't know any, but we'll find one. And so he said to me on the phone, are you a real gay person? <laughs> like that and i just lost it i just lost it i was like i am." let me just warm up my voice and it was so (laughs) bittersweet but those moments just Uh, they're little seeds of hope and resilience that really i carry with me because i just remember you know um his voice and that feeling and also the young wee dope thinking he had to leave so nonchalant i'll have to leave um i'll have to pack a bag (laughs) but um we shouldn't live in a society that works like this, but these seeds of hope, these parents that are lovely, these grandparents that are lovely, these sassy young people that will stand their ground. I, I really do love those stories. They're weird stories of happiness, you know, but they're my stories of happiness. Now, my memories, I guess what I wanted to quickly say is the way I do things. And I do this before I go on stage. I have a real quick, um, kind of like a rainbow shielding meditation. And I build different things around me before I go on stage. And, um, I do flashes of happy moments in my life that I flash before me and then then they swirl them together and turn them into a rainbow, which I drag up through my core, I imagine, and it bursts out the top in like a light that comes over me and shields me. And then I kind of breathe, think of um, like my ancestry lines, my relatives, all the fun moments I've had. And then I walk out on stage and it's a little personal practice I do. And within that, there are... There are a story that the little flashes are hitchhiking around Ireland when I was 18, being in a volcanic pool in Iceland, festivals, gigs, tears of laughter, jumping in a swimming pool with my sister. They all spin and are like a little beacon that I use that can kind of protect me against anything. So um, that there is your happy memory, your happy article, your happy story.
1: I mean, I don't think anyone's ever going to beat that. That was incredible. I mean, that's, that was my talk. That's preparation <laughs> and well delivered at that. Um, so you said your parents are hippies. Yes. Uh, just from the, the rainbow um, meditation. Yeah. Uh, do you, are you much of a hippie yourself?
0: Uh, I think I am. Yeah, it's definitely in my soul. I mean, my mum is uh, uh, an Irish woman. We're, we're only ethnically Catholic, which means we love drama. We love a candle, but we don't really have a faith bit of guilt yeah. In there as well. yeah exactly yeah but we're not a religious family um um i mean politically we're catholic in terms of what happens in ireland and stuff like that but uh, my mum always from a young age would be like incense crystals enya <laughs> you know <laughs> whale enya. sounds they were the, they were the solutions um <laughs> enya. <laughs> enya's early work and and <laughs> and actually do you know in thailand they call her my mum the beautiful witch Because when they have a little ailment or something, because she's always sweeping the veranda and they call her (laughs) with a broom and they call her the beautiful witch because also they come to her for like different potions and stuff like that. A lot of it is just folk medicine, you know, like soda, bicarbonate and vinegar is really good at doing loads of things. And, um, you know, lavender oil is good for a burn and stuff like that. But I I definitely am influenced by that.
1: So, Dane, uh, you are a comedian uh, and I get the impression you've always naturally been a funny person. Is that is that right?
0: Yeah, I mean, people sometimes say to me when I come off stage, gosh, you're still in character. I'm like, um, FYI, that's me up there. You know, because some comedians do turn on a character, but that is me up there. That's absolutely me. I, and my like...
1: next question was going to be, is the Dane we see on stage the yeah. real Dane? 100%. Or yeah. Is there a difference?
0: No, there's not. I mean, obviously, I don't run support groups for my service users, like, bam, <laughs> and doing gigs sure. and high kicks, you know. But, I mean, it's a slightly turned up version of me. You know, I might exaggerate a kick or... Uh, um, uh, it might camp something up or Irish something up or Indian something up because I'm Irish and Indian you know or a play in an accent but it is all versions of me that my friends and families would recognize I mean all my life since I was well all of my life but for the last 20 years people said you need to go on stage and people always say to me are you an actor and I know I always say oh no gosh no and I, I I react like that because I would never want to do acting because I would only if I could write write it, you know, I wouldn't want to do someone else's stuff. And I love comedy because you're your own writer, producer, director, and I could always hold a room and like make laughter and stuff like that. But I didn't know if that translated to an audience. It's a very different kind of thing, isn't it? Mm. And so I, I turned a certain age last year for legal reasons. I'm unable to say, (laughs) but for the purpose (laughs) of this podcast, we
1: must be the same age, right? If you're younger than me, I, I imagine. How old are you? I'm 32. I love you, James. For the are you purpose. Older than me? Yeah, I am. I'm much older than oh you. Oh my god, I really thought you were younger than me. <laughs>
0: Put it this way, people are like, how do you know so much about the eighties? I'm like, my parents told me
1: <laughs> I'm
0: <laughs> so yeah.
1: Oh. yeah, well, yeah. I'm glad you Look at day over 32. So... <laughs> well my street age
0: is 31. Um yeah. don't tell the gays my age. I'll never find a man wife. <laughs> 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 to be fair though, I can anyone on the circuit I can keep up with. I'm the first on the dance floor, the last off. So I've got high energy levels. I've always just been, and my mum's the exact same, you know. Um, We just kind of have a vitality in us, I think. But I hit 40 and I thought, girl, I am so sick of thinking about one day doing comedy. Because I'm not a nervous person. Nothing makes me nervous. Not job interviews. Not I could get up and knock out an Irish ballad in front of 500 people. But the thought of stand-up did scare me. I thought, oh, no. Oh, gosh, no, that sounds scary. So then I thought, well, I must do it then. It's quite Mm. refreshing to have something scary. I should do it. Um, And I signed up to the course and then COVID happened and it got cancelled. But the minute the course begun again, which was November last year, 2021, I went and did it. And after the first few weeks, I thought, oh gosh, I, it translates like my humour that I've always carried with me translates to stage and my master's was in writing. So I think I can write a narrative well. And It was run by the really good Mike Gunn, and he was just, he's very blunt, but very, very good and very, very kind. He'd be like, you, you're going to kick it. You're the best. You'll be the closer of the showcase. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) I did the course, and I realised I can make people laugh, and it does translate. But people are very quick to be like, do you wish you did it when you were 20? And my answer is no. Like, I didn't have the skill set then you know i've got my own place now i live and i feel like you need my your own place i practice in my different rooms and stuff like that i've got a really good you know if i was living in a house share like when i was 20 with 10 other people i wouldn't be mm-hmm. able to practice different things in the middle of the night you know what i mean i've got a job now that's really flexible and lovely i've got um uh i think when you hit this age you can take the piss out of yourself much much more um i don't care as much but also the head on me i've got all the skill set for like being resilient like i see some young comedians who are like 20 and 19 and stuff they let insta get to them so much you know other people's stories what other people are doing and worrying about this and because i'm not sure. quite that generation it doesn't really get to me in the same way and i think it, it helps you know um feed me on and it means that i can kind of go on and, and, and come at it from a different angle so i really think this is the perfect age also doing it after my masters in writing was really good because i think how i have a a turn of phrase and my narrative and everything how I piece something together it just feels like it's the right time so mm. and thanks to the goddess I don't I look younger people assume I'm younger so I
1: can do it <laughs> amazing so I don't know much about the comedy circuit a, yeah. well I don't know anything about the comedy circuit how does it tend to work how do you say so you're fresh out of the oven and you want to do comedy where, where do you start how do you go so I did, did a course a which
0: I did a course, which is a really good way to start, I think, because essentially, like my first six gigs, which are going to be not great for anyone, your first six gigs, you had the the safety to be shit in a class. Do you know what I mean? It was just 15 of us. You had to get up on stage and try stuff every week. If the class laughed, you kept it. If they didn't, you cut it. And you kept doing it each week until the final week when you did a showcase. Now, mine had a bit more pressure because it was at the comedy store. And you're like, oh, my showcase is here um you know but it was a really good kind of mix of people and it was a really good way in so i would recommend a course there are loads of different courses you can't really teach comedy like there's a few theories about it but you can't really teach it so go for a course that is just about stage time getting up doing stuff and and getting feedback and then going back the next week and tweaking it that's you know because that's workshopping that's what you're doing but most people what we do is you there are lots of open mic nights so you know in pubs they might be free or two pounds to go in for the for the public and you you sign up and you do five minutes and you do five minutes for a few months on the circuit and and if people like you you move to 10 minutes then 15 minutes then paid slots and then 20 minutes Um, and it's a lot a lot of work and it's a lot a lot of time but it's also incredibly amazing and the best drug there is in the world you know when it works but also the circuit is lovely there's such a mixture of people and I'm in so many different groups There's Irish comedians I hang out with uh, Irish comedians there's queer comedians I hang out with there's just comedians that aren't in any particular niche group but we've just gelled together you know and then you make friendships and your mate is running a night so he'll ask you to come along so with the night you saw me at I'm friends with Mark who was emceeing so he wanted he was like hey this is gonna be a good gig come along so that's how it kind of happens you know I was lucky because um early on I won a few competitions and I won gong shows gong shows are do you know about gong shows
1: no I was gonna ask you about this what is a gong show Yeah, so gong, as in, as like gong isn't something you would like hit, hit. the yeah. baton with yeah okay. gong, uh, baton. <laughs> Baton, what do you call it? Do I don't know, but do you call it baton? Big stick.
0: <laughs> I told you not to calm with that yet. <laughs> anyway, so there's lots of different ones, but like I, I won the one at Comedy Store, which is famously difficult. And that's like 400 drunk people sitting in an Ugh. audience wanting blood. Basically, you have to get up on stage and they essentially boo you off if you're not good enough and you have to try and last five minutes. What it is, they have cards. They lift up. If three people lift up a card, you're gonged off stage
1: so you have to laugh Did you just five. get like vindictive people though just being but that's souls. the thing
0: be really good try and be really good try and make the room laugh and then they they'll be there for you yeah. um i mean of course you're going to get some people that are just mean and some people that come with agendas they may not like you cuz you're a woman or cuz you're black or cuz you're queer or because you're fat or because you're not you, you didn't do the right joke but the, but for me and I am aware that I am like, I'm a six foot two sassy gay man, so I can hold my own. And I know loads of people are petrified of gongs, but for me, they really worked well. I grew up in the 80s. I was born to deal with hecklers. I'm living for it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's, um, I remember one of my early gong shows, I came on stage and said, hi, I'm a gay. And a man put up his card straight away. And I said, darling, don't be homophobic. I'll tell you who wasn't homophobic, your dad last night do you know Uh, i mean and the whole room went wild and then i spent two minutes just rinsing and roasting his parents you know uh, (laughs) and it was delicious i won it and i was like thank you and i went to speak to him afterwards and he ran away from me he was petrified uh, but anyway uh, so you try and last the five minutes and if you do then at the end, they call up all the people who lasted five minutes onto the stage. There's usually four or five. You have a clap off. You get down to three. Each person then does another minute of comedy. And then you have another cup clap off. And then someone's crowned a winner. And then um, you get a free, like, I want a free slot at the comedy store. But, but also, like, 2,000 people watched it online. And I don't think I've had to... Um, apply for a gig since that people have just offered it so it's really really nice i i would recommend it for upcoming comedians it was a way to fast track but it's not for everybody but i think it really shapes your set because you've got no time for storytelling because they've got no patience you have to go you have to go bam 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 joke 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 but um so i feel like that accelerated me a little bit but also some is luck i was lucky enough to fall into a gig where i was online i was on stage with russell howard you know, that was amazing. Some is talent. You know, some people are good writers and some people have a good knack with an audience. But a lot of it, especially when young people like come up to me and say, oh, I'm a bit envious of you winning this, this, this. Some of it is work. It's work. Mm. Like when they when they told me work and ambition, when they said to me, the guy that was organizing the night of Russell Howard, he said, um, have you done 10 minutes before? I never had. I'd only been doing comedy a few weeks. I said, yes, many times. <laughs> And he said, great, okay, because you'll have to make it count. I said, of course, naturally, darling. So oh, yeah. I, I put down the phone and was like, shit, I was going to blag it. This 10 minutes has to count now. I did 28 gigs in two weeks. Now, I don't know if you're great at the maths, but two weeks is 14 days. Do you know what I mean? I did so many gigs in every kind of place to get new material, to try new material. you know, And that's work. You know, I did that while running a full-time job and kind of living in Kent and commuting and stuff like that. So you have gotcha. to work. So I always say to people, it's not just about like talent or luck. I mean, those things come into it, but it's also work. Like get out there and, 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 and haul the circuit basically. That's what, that's what I do. I think I have fire in my belly though. Cause I've come to it late. You know, I think 20 year olds can afford to be like, yeah, I might do that next year. Well, honey, I'm not going to be alive next year. I don't know. I'm gay in dead years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I, that kind of makes me want to ask like you you mentioned how you got to a certain age uh and you'd never but you're not an actor you haven't come from a performance no. background no what where did comedy ping in your mind to say ah i'll give that a go like where did that come where did it spark
0: i'm from a very fun family like we always had carry on and crack we were always a f- we always had a hooli we always had big family parties and we were always a. what's family. a hooli a hooli are you of irish a origin i can't remember no no oh i didn't know because you're catholic uh a oh hooli... no, it's
1: english just sadden english
0: <laughs> i didn't say that <laughs> I said it. um a hooli is like a really good night oh we'll have a hooli you know we'll have a really good oh, okay. night full of fun and and, and carry on and, and mischief oh, and every shenanigans. Every day is a
1: learning day. Yeah. You welcome champions of happy listeners. Exactly. I mean in the
0: in the Irish <laughs> really? language and in the in in Hiberno English like Irish English there are so many words like shenanigans, carry on, crack, hooly. There's so many words shindig, uh, There There's so many words. Well, oh, like a shindig.
1: Yeah. A shindig. Yeah.
0: There are so many words for a good time. Um uh I mean, there's that great quote about Irish people. The Irish are the race that the gods made mad. To their wars, they are happy. To their songs, they are sad. Uh, Which I don't know if if it's necessarily fair, but it does create the vibe of we live everything to the max, you know? Uh, Including you know there's no there's no, no no ballad as heartbreaking as an Irish ballad I don't think you know including every every dial is turned up high but anyway I'm from a family that we would always just have really good carry on we'd have giggles we'd have fits my mum is hilarious I was remembering the story the other day we were we were on a beach in England yeah in Broadstairs I think and this sums up my mother and what she's like the Irish mammy wit we were on a beach and we were just sitting down and we realized it, it must be a bit of a nudist beach because there was an old man and a woman behind him who were nude. And we were like, oh gosh, we didn't realise. We'll just sit here, we're enjoying the sun, but our clothes were on. This older man walks over. We're sitting down, walks over. So his pelvis is opposite my mum's face, basically. And he says, excuse me, are we offending you? Now, we hadn't hadn't said a word. And my mum just looked up, put her glasses on, which were on a chain, looked at his penis and said, that... Oh, darling, I doubt that ever offended anybody. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean? She said, I'm not being funny, love, but I've seen bigger in mother care. <laughs> it was delicious. I couldn't speak. I just cackled. And then he walked on his way and I thought that was such a delicious read. So that's the kind of humour I kind of grew up with. And my mum is just, she's such a funny person. My sisters are, uh, my stepdad is. We are just always been a family that have always had humour. But then... um. I've always loved to tell a story. I think I brought it to a next level then. I had a speech impediment growing up, so I had lots of speech therapy, so I can do lots of different <laughs> accents. Um I sing, I grew up singing Irish folk music. Um and people would always ask me to recant a story, tell that story again, you know, I'd do the different accents. I'd be like, Well, he'd come yeah. home and he was like, I'm telling you, no, you better you know, I'd do the whole story for the family and stuff, or I'd create stuff. And I always liked writing, so I'd even write some bits. Um I run a day centre for 10 years for Irish pensioners, and they would love the carry-on we'd have and the stories and the impressions and all the stuff, just naturally in my normal living, Mm. maybe because of the heavy work I've done. You know, I run a project for terminally ill pensioners, and I was often the last person with them as they left this world. But I can tell you, we had so many giggles and so much carry-on sometimes in those last intimate hours. I remember this one man who, he was fierce mad for the horses and the betting. And every day, he'd be like, Dianne! Put a fiver in the horse for me, would you? And I was very busy. I was managing this project with so many people who were dying. And I forgot one day and his fucking horse come in and he was ecstatic. I had to put 60 quid out of my own money and be like, oh, Seamus, here you go. Your horse come in. And he said to me, would you be a good lad now and go down and get me some dirty blue magazines and buy yourself one while you're there?
1: And I was, I'll
0: be honest, it's not really my cup of tea. I'm more into the men. Treat yourself to whatever you need, Dean. You know, and we had such <laughs> giggles. We had such giggles. Um, so I think always finding those little seeds of happiness was a part of me. But then, then I did my master's in writing then. And I loved that. And I wanted to be a really kind of serious writer. And I'd write really heavy stuff. And my my popular stuff, the stuff I'd win competitions and met agents uh, for and the stuff I got published was historical fiction which is a lot of work a lot mm. of
1: research uh, yeah, that's very different to what you're doing <laughs> yeah
0: and then I think there was a crossroads where I, I was like do you know what I can do this kind of writing at any age because a lot of people retire and write but my my comedy is quite um, linked to my personality and although I could be funny at 1670 i right now i've got the energy for it and if i sure. want to just choose one to concentrate i think it has to be comedy at this age if i want to you know i'm still in there with a chance that's where writing can happen at any time saying that i've seen amazing comedians who are on the circuit who have just started out at 16 uh, sorry at 60 or 70 but um and then i wrote a short story and it, it got picked up by this festival it was a quite a cute idea it was about a day center that's losing its funding so it pretends to be gay to get special funding um and um, and therein, some people do actually come out, and it was really fun to write. And this festival called Liars League asked asked if they could hire an actor to perform it. And I when I saw it being performed, I loved it. I also thought I could do it, but the writer wasn't allowed to perform it, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But I loved it and thought, gosh, I love I loved writing these turn of phrases. And I really enjoyed the humour, um, and 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 so that made me think about comedy. And then I thought, you know what? Everyone had said to me for years, Dan, you need to do stand up, but it's such a different. It's petrifying. I've got a friend who's a Broadway star. She, she, she's been on TV. She's a Disney star, and she said to me, um, "Gosh, I'm an actress, and I'm the thought of doing stand-up would really scare me. It's a whole different beast because it's your, you are the writer, the producer, the director, and it's instant feedback. You get there and then. Like if the room doesn't laugh, it's mm. mortifying. Likewise, if they do, it's the best joke in the world. So, so then, I, as I said, I I signed up to the course and I did comedy and. I feel like I've come home. I'm giving it 200%. I'm single right now, listeners. Hi. Um, so I have time. Do you know, it's become my social life. Uh, you know, um, I'm kind of settled in other ways. So it's it's I'm putting everything into it. Like this week, I've got gigs Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday into next week. And I would say Jamie. like 70% of them are paid gigs, which is lovely to have. I feel really honored. I'm entering lots of competitions. I think if, if you're the type that can handle competitions and you don't let it get to your head, then if you don't do well, you know, because you don't, you want to look after yourself, then do enter them because they can help you kind of get noticed and stuff like that.
1: I'm really jealous because I'm not the most eloquent person in the world, despite having a podcast. I um, oh, and... seem like you are. Oh, that's very kind. But um, no, Um, uh, <laughs> so I get really jealous of people who can like command a room and like you've clearly got this very this talent where you are sharp and smart and quick and fast and you can think on your feet i have a joke in my in, in, well i don't have a joke there is a joke within my friendship group where i have three jokes a year that land <laughs> and it's very rude because when they do land though they're quite good but i imagine being on stage is a completely different experience because you are you're by yourself you're you're alone that's yeah th- 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 that takes some courage to do like
0: it takes you takes yeah. yeah yeah do you know what i i do chutzpah yeah y- yiddish word meaning like bull's guts i'm also uh, uh yeah i'm into etymology see people wouldn't know this by looking at me would they <laughs> um but i love playing with that like i'm on so many different fringes like you wouldn't look at me in my personality and think there's a lad that will knock out a gaelic ballad in a pub full of old irish men do you know what i mean and it's one of my i grew up doing that and loved doing that i used to go to yeah. ireland
1: to learn the language and stuff like that but anyway back to comedy um do you think you can sorry i was just ask. do you think you can you you definitely have this um performance flair and you've had this family which is lovely yeah where you've picked up things do you think it can be taught or do you think it just it just has to come natural for a comedian
0: i don't think it can really be taught if i'm honest like uh, things can be honed and you get more practice (laughs) (laughs) you get more practice of different audiences do you know what i mean but it Either you're, it's fight or flight, isn't it? Either you're comfortable Mm. with someone being aggressive in your face or you're not. And although like when you do, especially when you do like a regional gig, when I do gigs in Kent where I live, the audience are much more uh, vocal. I'll be like, hi, I'm gay. And they'll be like, prove it. Now I love that. and, and that because what they, they don't realize but i've got loads of things to come back with that i'm like you want me to prove it darling ask your son to show you the pictures he bought of me last night okay or you know Jeez. i just come back with or i'll be like darling redirect your anger at your hairline where it belongs you're giving me small dick energy <laughs> i can do that all night long and that makes the audience love me even more but not everyone can <laughs> but but here comes the serious part i can do that because someone said to me oh my god you were so bullied in school and i was like guilty i absolutely was and I was, that, I was that person. I always had a really strong sense of pride. I've got a beautiful, strong Irish mother. She instilled it in me. And so, but also, I'm only one person. So if there are 10 people around you at a really rough Catholic school in the 80s, calling you a perf and like, wanting to bring you down, I can't take them on, obviously. But what I could do was give them a good, hand-down, old-fashioned read, rip them to shreds and their mother, and then run. Run, run, run the <laughs> run. fuck out of there. Which is basically how I lived through school. And some of the lads would be scared to start me because they know that I'd be like, I'd be like vile about them and their mothers and make all the school laugh at them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's how I had to survive. um And then I grew up into a man who was much stronger in a world where being queer is okay and men can men can well in the UK men can marry and stuff like that. Very different from when I grew up with Section twenty twenty eight, but. Then in my little dramatic moment, I made sure I rang up me police to talk to have it out because I said to them, Dane then couldn't stand up for himself. He was one person, but Dane the man absolutely can. And of course, as luck would have it, I wanted me closure. I wanted me moment. Of course, they turned out to be lovely individuals who have healed and are loving now. And I was like, damn, uh. didn't get me drama. They apologized, <laughs> they were in awe of me, they didn't realize it affected me because they seen me as so strong. And we had some really good conversations. Some of them actually grew up to be quite hot and we're exploring those options now. But, <laughs> but I do feel that that sassiness, that defensiveness, that, that inner queerness, I think it's quite a queer quality. I think especially for gay men, um, I, I think gay men, especially in school, especially in a boys school had a particular brand of, of bullying. And I think a kind of catty bitchy camp, quick comeback sometimes would be a wonderful shield. Now that's generalizing. I'm saying that for me and people I know, but also I think historically that was kind of, kind of the way, because they're the first kind of queer people that were accepted was kind of the catty bitchy gay men that can give it back. If you look at TV and stuff like that, they're the first to kind of be accepted because from a really, basic level it's entertainment value so i do think but i so i am quick-witted with those things but i do think i do think i i use that a lot i don't know if younger queer people have that skill set in the same way i don't know if they have needed to likewise there are comedians who are really good at dealing with hecklers who aren't gay but i do think it's a particular kind of brand um also like the innuendo the sexual innuendo i think that can that's something i do a lot um you know two of the theories I'm saying comedy can't be taught, and I don't think it can, but I think you can be given opportunities. My course was all about workshopping. I say a line that I get feedback on it. Usually my feedback was, Dane, you're being too long-winded. And I knew what I was doing. I was being a writer. The day was a June day. The sun was a floral blossom. The... No, no, girl, get to <laughs> get the punchline. <laughs> and so I just had to, and I'd rather cut down than have to add, add you know, so it was grand. But... um Two of the things I do remember hearing about, though, are one of the theories was pull back and reveal where you you say something and then the next thing you say changes everything. So one of my lines is, hi, I'm Dane. I've just turned 29 and people clap and then I say stone um, and then they clap again because they realize I'm talking about my weight. You know, so I've 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 kind of pulled the rug from them and I've, I've changed it. Uh, likewise, there's another one which I think they call Monday, Tuesday, banana. You know, if you say Monday... And then you say Tuesday, the audience are expecting Wednesday to be the next thing. But you say banana. Well, I do that in my set. I say when they saw me at the school gates with my dad, they called me a packy. When they saw me at the school gates with my mum, they called me Irish scum. Now, they think the third thing is going to be that I'm a puff. But I say when they saw me at the school gates with me backing dancers and me legging warmers, you guessed it. They called me a triple threat. (laughs) Um, And the audience (laughs) always loved that because I flipped it. And I flipped yeah. it in kind of a positive way then, you know, so, and I love playing with that dynamic. I love taking the dark bits of society. You know, that joke talks about racism and homophobia. I love taking that, turning it in on itself, making it funny, then offering it back to an audience.
1: Amazing. Do you, br- you briefly mentioned it before you're single currently? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes. Do you think you could date another comic?
0: I've been warned off that so much. So many people have said to me, don't date another comic. <gasps> And I'm, my answer to that is, do you see a waiting list? Do you see people at the door? <laughs> like, I will take options, gay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I imagine if you're both up and coming, like, I guess there could be issues for people being jealous of one another and stuff like that. But I don't really give in to that kind of thing. Um, would I date another comic? I wouldn't. I wouldn't not date
1: another comic. Is there anyone on the circuit you kind of got your eye on? you go, oh, hello.
0: I've not really play. met many people my age at my level. Like I think like there are famous queer comedians out there, aren't there? Um but but they're a different age. There's not many there's not many newbies who are my age. Like I don't meet many newbies my age who are gay men anyway. I've met like um straight men and women my age who are newbies. But um I don't think there are there is, to be honest. I feel a bit motherly towards some of the youngins. <laughs> oh um and i kind of pride myself when we're doing gigs i see how some of the other comedians really do their head in and i try and be like a nice energy for them and like be there if they need a hug or a chat or to think of a way to deal with someone um probably because my background and my work but um i've not really met anyone that i thought do you know what come round the back and we'll have a quick round of where's the purple parsnip? you know <laughs> i've not i've that's not happened audience members yes yes oh no, really and I have been hit on by, by some audience members. Usually, drunk straight men love me. I usually have to clarify with them, I am a man, in case you thought <laughs> I was a butch woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. I'm going to write that down now. Um, but yeah, no, I have had audience members, both queer and non-queer, um, slide into my DMs.
1: Nice. Sidebar, nice my older
0: sister, I said to her about sliding into my DMs. And she legit said, Dr. Martins, darling. And I was like, oh, that <laughs> oh, was delicious, oh. darling. No, it wasn't Dr. Martin's.
1: Oh, bless. Is it quite a competitive um, line of work, being a comedian? I think
0: it can be. It definitely can be. And I think a well-known comedian, uh, uh, Remain Nameless, I was doing a gig with him, and he said to me, Dane, you know you're doing good when you come back into the green room. Really, he should have said, Dane, you know you're doing well, but I didn't correct him at the time. He said, Dane, you know you're doing good when you come back into the green room. And people won't speak to you. And then that happened to me. And oh. I was like, it happened to me so often. Well, well, well other men wouldn't speak to me. Right. Uh, usually straight men, if I'm honest. Um, and I thought, so now I know as a Mark, I'm like, oh, I'm doing well. Because they're, they're not speaking to me. And it really is true. Like, since that, I heard someone come Well, I saw someone kind of discussing winners. And they were like, oh, it's him. He, he won it. He's coming over here now. And then they were so cold. I was like that's such a weird energy to me i have seen some beautiful camaraderie with queer people though i think we've been because we've been on the fringes we're here for each other especially you know if you're in a green room you'll find your other gaze won't you you'll be like oh it's you come over here girl you're yeah, also in a supportive way though you know like yeah oh this audience do you think this joke will work and i really have loved that camaraderie and that clannishness um so but i think some of the men can be as I said, some of the men can be a bit little bit like that. I've not noticed that with women and I've really witnessed some beautiful kind of sisterdom between women. Sisterdom, did I make that up? I don't know, but I'm copywriting that word. I've noticed some lovely stuff there, but I don't I do not give my energy to things that A are not my business if they are B not interesting or well, that good. Do you know what I mean? So I'll give it my business if someone's got a secret story about where Colin Farrell hides his underwear. Sure. <laughs> I'll be for that I'll be here for that. But <laughs> If it doesn't bring me something good into my life and it's not my business and not particularly nice i don't really go in for it do you know what i mean like i the only thing i've had is i've had people just be lovely and give me opportunities although word spreads doesn't it like about what kind of comedian you are i turn up on mm-hmm. time i stay till the end i'm nice i'm bub. i try and be bubbly i go and chat to the audience after um i'll try and bring the laughter as where if you're late or rude or, or have a bit of ego, I cannot stand, despite my strong personality, I cannot stand egos. Um, I, re- I really can't, like most of my boyfriends have been like wallflowers and stuff like that, but I, that kind of ego of like, it's me, I'm here, I'm the talent, no hun, we're all on this platform learning our stuff and one sweep could knock us all flying. And, mm-hmm. and even if you wanna be shallow about it, play humble, so you come across as nice, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I've said that to some comedians hun, you need to pretend to be, at least be nice, because. Because cause how you're being to people right now, do you, do you know what I mean? The only thing I've had is, and it's quite sweet in a way, I've had some young comedians kind of come up to me and tell me that they're a bit envious of me. And really, it's quite sweet because they came up to me to seek comfort. And normally, you don't do that. You moan about someone you're jealous of to your friends, don't you? Yeah. So it was quite sweet. So I did try to help them. But I think it came down to, I said to them, look, we're not the same kind of comedian. We don't look alike. We're not in the same kind of we don't write the same kind of jokes there are comedians that are more like you why is it me and it come down to the stories on insta they would watch a lot of the stories on insta and they would see success and i'd be like but hun you only put your success stories on insta for every competition i win there's two more i don't and i obviously don't usually do a story going hi guys tonight i come 12th you know yeah that's not how social media works we don't do it like that so don't don't believe that as gospel it's just like facebook you'll see like Oh, this guy's out Saturday night with ten, 10 best friends he has. No one has 10 best friends, girl. That's a picture. That's Facebook. It's social media. It's not real. So um, um, I had that a little bit in the beginning, but that's on them. That's not on me because I work hard. I try my best. And if, if a room like you, a room like you. Likewise, I have had gigs where I've been as popular as syphilis. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, oh. so, And you get to know your demographic. I know that kind of slightly posh venues and gigs are not my circuit i'm quite sexual i can be crass sometimes i'm quite extroverted i'm i'm a a mixed race lad from a cancel state i know that that kind of i think kind of some of those posh audiences sometimes don't know if they can laugh at some of my jokes when i say i've got more labels in a bangladeshi sweatshop i've seen some of those audiences cover their mouths can we laugh as where my bread and butter has generally been the loud busy comedy clubs and I'm glad that's the case because that's where the career progression and the money is do you know what I mean but you give me 50 girls from Croydon 100 lads from Watford couple of couple of siders they've had boom do you know what I mean
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't want to dwell on I don't want to dwell on bad stuff because we're the champions of happy but do you remember your first gig outside of a class I do yeah it was how did it go
0: so for all this speech, I, speech for all this spiel a I've speech. done, I've tried to be general what applies to normal people. However, <laughs> and normal story. let me re- say that sounds American. <laughs> to norm- to muggles. <laughs> for all the spiel I've done, I've kind of been generalising. But actually, I I didn't realise at first, but what's happened to me is a bit unique and special. and And I'm glad I didn't know it was unique and special because it would have freaked me out. But, Long story short, my very first gig I did, um, I won, like, this little cup, best of the evening, but then got hired by the promoter to do this series of paid gigs. So, like, hey. I had an experience that is really quite rare, and it was really quite lovely. Um, and I don't think I realised, I didn't know that it was rare. I was like, sure, I'll do that. Cool. Um but now I look back and think, fuck me, I, I was so lucky to have that. I didn't realise because it propelled me, you know. I mean, I will say that that first paid gig, I remember, which was just after my first open spot gig. Um, they said a rugby club in Surrey, which turned out to be a football club in Croydon. <laughs> it was there was I, there must have been 300 people there. And I, as I walked towards the venue, I could smell the testosterone part of me wasn't incredibly turned on naturally but the other part of me thought shall i ring my mum and say goodbye clarify what (laughs) songs i want played (laughs) as it happened and the audience were wild as it happened they were lovely and we loved each other because you know i always say like comedy is a contract if you get on stage you're making a deal with that person if you make a deal with them and let them know i'm here hun i'm gonna be funny you're in safe hands once they trust you They will let you away with anything. Do you know what I mean? Um, But you have to build that trust quickly. You have to get that contract done. And I think, you know, once you can show that you can make fun of yourself, you can make fun of anyone that um, heckles you, and you can bring the funny, I think then people are forgiving and nice. And they'll be open-minded. Like, some of the spaces I've gone to do, I've had messages from other people saying, hey, mate, I I don't know if this is a safe space for a queer comedian. I, I, I would be careful if I were you. Now my personality i'm like oh bring it i want to win them over or i'll tell them about themselves Mm. you know that's just my sassiness and it's only ever been lovely people who i maybe um assumed might be funny about my sexuality would come up and and hug me and buy me a drink and it's lovely so i think sometimes you have to kind of challenge these systems but yeah my first gig was amazing i'm really really lucky and um even my second gig I think an agent recently watched it and wants to sign me. It was recorded. It was part of a showcase and wants to sign me and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I've, I've been really lucky and blessed. And I, as I say, I think some of that has come down to um, what people say to me is a, it looks like you're having a really, really good time. You know, it looks like you're having fun up there Mm. and that's contagious. And I really am like, you'll see some of my sets that are recorded. I giggle at my own jokes still because I just get into it. Um, But also it's, it's honest, and it's my story. Like you know, I am I'm defined by who I've been. So I'm a gay man, Irish mother, an Indian father from a council state in the eighties, um, and I've worked in like the social work field for like twenty years. The people I've met, the things I've done, that that is all. I've been on the fringes of society for so long, looking in. But given that, I'm also like a six foot two, big built man who generally passes for white. So I've had some of the privileges, and not some of all, not some of the darkness. But but it's all shaped who I've been. And I think people kind of connect to it. That's what they tell me when they come up to me, you know, for
1: hugs and stuff afterwards. Amazing, I, I, you pretty much covered it, but do you have any, do you have a standout gig that really like warms your heart? I mean, you you did a gig with Russell Howard, who in quotes said, you're smashing it. That must've been incredible. Like, yeah. cause he's like known. Like yeah, everywhere. yeah, I think he is known, isn't he? Yeah, that was that is definitely up there,
0: and it was at a gorgeous venue which had a refugee family at the back making falafel, um, oh. and I, and I spoke with them because obviously I run a support service for people seeking asylum, and we had a lovely chat and we we're talking about recipes and just the room was so loving, and there were other comedians who were really good that night and and stuff, and actually when I went in, I didn't want to be a fan girl. When I went into the green room, it was just me and Russ, as I called him. Yeah. Uh, and I actually went in too cold because I didn't want to be a fan girl. I was like, hello, Russell, and turned the other way. And I was like, and then I was like, oh girl, you've got in too cold. This is too much. You need to turn that dial back up. And then he came over and, and shook my hand and was like, Hello, mate. And I was like, Hello, Russell Howard, I loved your documentary. I loved it. I love the relationship you have with your father. The spiel come out. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so nice. And I said, Look, I don't know what the norm is, Russell. I, I want to ask for a selfie, but I want to appear cool. But do you know what cool's not my brand? And he said, "Get in here," and we oh. had a hug and, and a picture. And he rewrote one of my jokes for me, which was lovely. Um, oh, nice! Yeah, and so um, that 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 is that should be the standout gig, and officially it is. However, viewers, listeners, here at this VIP limited edition, exclusive. <laughs> I mean, I think. I did love the gig where you saw me. And you wouldn't believe the stuff I've got out of that. Honestly, it's amazing. Oh. I mean, put it this way. The gigs I'm doing out of that are going to pay for my headshots and my website as a professional comedian. Do you know what I mean? Which is yes. really special. But I think for me, it shouldn't be about winning. It should be about the taking part. However, let's brush that to a side. I have to talk about when I went won King Gong at Comedy Store. It was such a special night. I didn't. The room was so hostile, the the vibe was so weird, it was sold out, there was like 400 people in the venue. Comedians in front of me were leaving, because they were drinking shots of tequila and leaving, saying, I'm not going up there, the crowd's too wild. But then I went up there, um, and I don't remember what happened, but they just, the love I got was just crazy, and then they just, I felt like I could sing the alphabet, and they just, the love I got was just ridiculous, I don't even remember speaking the words. And then next, you know, I was in the clap off, and... I don't think they even needed to assess the sound for the clap-off because they have a special monitor they they like okay we know and I remember the guy saying it's d-dog meaning me and just I felt a bit emotional because it's quite a straight manly mainstream space and I felt like I'd really conquered it and I, I had really owned the room I remember when I won the crown which is up there uh, um, I said to the guys, I said if any of you have brought up any issues about your sexuality during my set, please come and see me for a drop in advice surgery in the men's cubicles two to four <laughs> after the show. And I was joking. But afterwards there was like a line to see me. Some people just wanted a hug or a handshake, yeah. but some people it had it had stirred things in and they wanted to talk about that. And it was it was just a really special night. I didn't think someone like me would win that. I wasn't expecting that. I just wanted to try and last. So so can we do it so that I have two? I have the Russell Howard gig and the and the and the um the comedy store gig. Saying that there have been other gigs with four people who weren't even listening and were hiccuping, but I then met my best friend that night, or you know, because all my circle are comedians now, and I've got these really close friends and stuff. So I have loaded down to two, and every single gig I've ever done as an answer. You can oh, see I'm nice. loving it. I'm just loving it. I'm Good. seven no, months right. in.
1: clearly you're like you be- you're beaming with joy just like yeah. talking about it. Yeah. Um. So I, 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 it's kind of an obvious question, but, and I think you kind of already answered it, really. But what do you love about it?
0: What do I love? The attention, the glamour. No I'm joking. <laughs> the fame. <laughs> I, I. Do you know a singer songwriter called Tori Amos? Yes, I do. Yeah. She talks about her songs like they're her babies. Uh, and I, my sets feel like that. Like they're my creations. I've made these sets, these narratives, these stories, and these arcs. And they are my, like, I never forget my lines because they're my life. Like they start in order. They start with where my parents are from, my grandparents, my birth, my schooling. They go in that narrative, in that linear. Um, and there's different versions of the set you know I'll go to a gig and I'll be like I'm gonna do the the Irish folk song about an STD tonight or I'm gonna do that (laughs) line I'm gonna this audience needs that and I feel what the room kind of looking for and I know what they'll want um and then I, I tweak it so I love the creating of it and the writing and the forming of my babies my darlings I love the social side I but if it had to choose one thing I would say It is the crazy high high pagan ritual highness of like making a room full of people laugh like it's the i was never into drugs but it is the best drug there is you know making that room laugh and you know there's an old irish saying which is a friend's eyes are good mirrors and when you look into a room and you're just these eyes are staring at you laughing waiting on your next word it is just it's terrifying but it's delicious
1: amazing oh what a what a what a what an experience I, I wish i could a, a, one day achieve such a, a high but that's not it um so what's what's the dream what's the future when are we going to start seeing your mock of the week and taskmaster and repeats on dave tv
0: are you partially northern
1: i am yes taskmaster i am from the way you said task. From manchester Oh uh, yeah, it comes out every now, every few words but yeah. Uh, darling, I, just... I have no
0: idea what that is If you're referring to Sorry, task Taskmaster master. <laughs> Taskmaster <laughs> I love accents um, What are the plans? Well, you know, so many people I'll tell you the interesting thing about becoming a comedian And I still have to pinch myself Because part of my uh, You know, I have a lot of therapeutic training But in my head, part of me goes Girl, you're calling yourself comedian cha," But I have to be like, hold on you're getting paid for gigs so you're allowed to call yeah. yourself a stand up and i'm not hurting anyone um you know <laughs> so but everyone has advice everyone has advice and everyone has a story you should do brian down in the pub has a story about a rabbit stew and his wife that you need to tell on stage young man no brian that's not going to work brian <laughs> do you know why <laughs> do you know what i mean everyone everyone has so many stories And I always listen to my gut instinct. In social work, they say gut instinct is like a big part of it. Um, And I do. I listen to my gut. Now, and so I've had a very short-term plan. um, And my plan was do gigs, do loads of gigs, get to do 100 gigs, try and get paid gigs, try and win competitions, try and win gong shows, try and get 1,000 followers, um, all of those things um because i'd never been on the insta before i had to i'll be honest with you exclusive i had to watch oh. a youtube story about how to do a story on insta i didn't know i am oh. part part indian i should know better with it but i'm also old i was like what is this story <laughs> anyway um so my plan was to do all those things and then come the summer enter the bbc new comedy award which is like the biggest comedy competition for new comedians and enter so you think you're funny which is the other biggest comment there's two of them one is in edinburgh one is on the bbc um and so my plan was always to enter those kind of um gigs those competitions and just to give myself some space to get a website to get photos to try and get an agent now it's all kind of naturally on path i like i've done loads of gigs i've won competitions i've won gongs i've entered those competitions we find out the 20th of June if I'm if we're through to the semi-finals, which means I would go up to Edinburgh for those. With the final being at the end of um, August, I'm saving money for photos for get my website. I'm in talks with agents, so I, I really liked that small, achievable plan. You know, it's it's been a year-long plan. I think on the 27th of October, 2022, would bring me up to one year since I first did my first gig.
1: I mean, you've done so much as well. I know it's
0: crazy, isn't it? So um, I, I've only um, so I've got this first year plan, basically. I mean, because these competitions were really important to me, I, I wanted to make sure I've hit every rule. And one of them, you can't enter if you've done more than 15 gigs. So I made sure I'd only done 12 gigs by the time I'd entered it. So um, because it was my guiding light, because last August I sat on my sofa with my bestie and I watched the final of So You Think You're Funny. And I said to her... I'm going to do comedy and next year I'm going to be in that final. I really, I don't mean this in a hallmark dramatic moment of, oh, let me get my life together. I just mean like, um, I just had this surety in me that this is what I should be doing and this is what I should go for. Um, and and so I'm on that path. Who knows? You may be getting an update being like, hi, yeah, <laughs> didn't didn't work out. I'm going to apply <laughs> to be the next member of Little Mix. but <laughs> <laughs> But you have to work towards
1: dreams, don't we? Exactly. Ah, oh, that sounds like an amazing plan. So, obviously, you're a very funny man. You are a very entertaining gentleman. But obviously, you do also work on entertaining the charity stuff. Saving Are you a Victorian madam? I am now. <laughs> you're a scamp. Um, please, uh, we are coming to the end of the podcast, but I d- we couldn't go without you talking about your. Charity work. Can you please expand on what you do in that sector for us?
0: Of course. So I manage a support service for LGBT. Oh my god, get me into the workforce. Did you hear that? I went I to the workforce. Yeah. I? <gasps> oh, hi. here's Gosh. my phone voice for you now. <clears throat> I, I manage a support service for LGBTQI plus people seeking asylum, and so people who come to this country to seek asylum based on the grounds of their sojiesk, you know, their sexual orientation, etc., etc. Now. These people reach us, having been human trafficked, having been sexually abused, physically abused, verbally abused, emotionally abused, cast out of their communities um, uh, and they have to claim asylum here, which is a really difficult process. sometimes the accommodation they're in is not it's not friendly to queer people, sometimes the family they're staying with they can't be out to them you know they're they 're brought through the courts, as it were, some are put into detention system it's a really difficult um kind of process and they have to survive on sometimes no money sometimes eight pounds a week they can't access all refugee services because not all services are uh friendly towards queer people you know especially some other refugee services so you know if you've fled Uganda and then you're in a house with 10 Ugandan people that's very difficult we have many service users that have to go into the closet or or are forced to do certain religious practices etc etc so our service users come to us with many many different needs and what the support service well as a, as in all all we help them with uh legal referrals to get legal aid, to get solicitors, or to give some legal advice. We also do some policy and campaigning work, you know, to challenge the government about their treatment of LGBTQI plus seeking asylum. But the 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 work that I do, I manage a service that looks at um offering a support so we help them with housing referrals referrals for therapy referrals for doctors referrals for um, benefits we run support groups where they can learn about the asylum system and meet friends we write we take them to pride we we do outings for them we help them get phone credit we help them get food they are uh, a real mixture of people from all over the world but they are such beautiful people and they are such superheroes like they have to come somewhere like this they didn't want to they have to for their life they have to be in this system you know detention is like prison basically um, they have to do this and also they have to turn up to meetings and they have to be polite and smile at these meetings and give information If I had to do that, I can barely get to my desk on a Monday at nine, you know, and that's just because I had a busy weekend. If I had been trafficked in this country and had no food and been physically, verbally, emotionally abused by everyone in my family in my town, I don't know how I could do that and then come to this meeting up in Liverpool for the Home Office to talk about my case. And, you know, I don't know how they do it, but somehow they find their resilience and they do. We're a lovely team. Everyone in the support service identifies as LGBTQI plus because, you know, it wouldn't be right for us to be talking about being queer and coming out if we weren't so ourselves um we have a good success rate with people that find us but it's about making sure they do find us but yeah we hope to get our service users all granted and then they become a refugee and there are other services and organizations out there for people who are granted because then you're you've got leave to remain you know but at, at the first stage you're claiming asylum so you can be sent back so it's a very tricky uh journey and we're lucky that we're born in this country basically you know some countries we have many services yeah there are issues in this country but there are no issues such as what happens in iran it's the death penalty by hanging for being queer so Uh,
1: for those listening who might want to get involved or help or donate or just learn more where's the best place they can go for that so if people would like to like donate or find out
0: more about the work we do we are on insta we're on twitter we have a website just google us we're rainbow migration
1: Lovely, lovely. Well, thank you, Dane. That's, I mean, that, I, I'm glad we touched on that because that is important as of well course, as yeah. comedy work. Um, yeah. So we have come to the end of the podcast, unfortunately. I've had a really lovely time. Thank you very much. Oh. How can people... I know you're new to the in- internet, but how can people find you? <laughs> I'm not new to the finding...
0: internet. How dare you? I was around <laughs> when it was discovered. <laughs> discovered. We found discovered. it in France. I think it was... <laughs> South France, <laughs> um, a farmer was digging and he found the old internet and thought, you know. <laughs> no, I was new to Insta because I didn't need, I have gay man's Insta, the yellow peril grinder. Uh, I'm more au fait with, with that, but I was new to Insta. But yeah, anyway, um, I am on Insta now, Dane Comedy, which wasn't taken, which I loved. On um, Twitter, I'm House of Dane, House of Dane, which is a play in an old band called House of Pain. Um, yeah, but Insta would be the main way. Dane Comedy. On Grinder. I'm Chubb Stud. And on Christian Mingle, I'm Abomination69. <laughs> Reach out and touch me. So
1: where, where can <laughs> we... Uh, obviously, where, where are your next gigs? Where, where can people see you next?
0: Tuesday the 14th of June at the Clapham Grand in Clapham, the new LGBT Comedian of the Year final... There have been many, Ooh. many heats, many semi-finals, and I'm one of nine people in the final. So come along to that. There are tickets. Just type in Comedy Bloomers uh, into Insta or go into OutSavvy and type in Comedy Bloomers. Um, there are tickets left. It's a massive venue. It's going to be amazing. Some of the the cast members of Drag Race UK are on the panel of judges. Ella Day has already been one of the judges. The lineup is absolutely stellar. Just getting this far is, has been amazing. And, you know, I'm a newbie to the comedy scene. Some of the people in that competition have been going a few years. They're absolutely stellar. But come along. Vote for me, Dane Buckley.
1: Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's thank you so much for having pleasure. me, James. And thank you for reaching out and asking me. No, of course. Absolutely. I've had an absolute ball. Um Thank you very much, and I'm sure we'll see each other and talk soon.
0: And thank you for doing this. It's very important because, you know, there's so many podcasts about different things, but happiness is something we have to hold on to. You know, years ago on the news, there would be a happy story at the end, like about a duck Mm. that befriended a rabbit or something. They don't do that now. It's just war, fire, riots. And I think we have to hold on to the happiness, these seeds I keep speaking about. So thank you for doing this, and thank you for
1: having me. No, my absolute pleasure. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye!